0: If you have your Bibles, let's go to Galatians chapter 1. Yeah, that looks good. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. And I just thank you for this house. Thank you that you love every person here. Lord, we we honor your word, and we just thank you that we would encounter you this morning. We would really receive the fullness of your gospel, Lord. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you're our friend, that you're close, so close, closer than our breath, Lord. Would you lead us, and I just surrender my mind, my thoughts, and my words to you this morning, and I ask that you'd lead me and lead us in the revelation of Jesus, we pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. So last night I was preparing for habitation once again. And guess what? It's coming. It'll come. I, I, I'm touching on habitation. We'll get there. But the Lord just gave me this one line, the man inside the message. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And I was just sitting on this and beginning to wrestle with it. And then I got taken into this encounter with Jesus. And this is what, what's come out. And so I want, to, I want to ask us this question. Stay in Galatians 1. But I want to ask you this. Because we as a church are ruthless about pursuing the purity of the message of grace. Amen? There is no other gospel. Just so you know, there's not like versions of the gospel. There's one gospel and then there's perverted versions which are not the gospel. There's one gospel which we'll find out. But the message of grace is beautiful because a—it's a, it's a, there's a person in the message that we're meant to encounter. And that's where transformation takes place. So I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you know the man inside the message? See, the message of the gospel is an invitation to an eternal relationship with the person of God. And His name is Jesus. This stirs my heart because... This is, this is what happens in the Western church specifically. It still happens in the East, but predominantly in the Western expression of church. It's easy to sit in church halls, church rooms, auditoriums, and to become familiar with a message that makes sense to you or even sounds good to you, yet never meet the man inside the message. And something happens to us when we learn the message but never meet the man. And this is what the Lord began to show me last night. To learn the message but never truly meet the man leaves us with a declaration of hope but no experience of hope today. Are you hearing me? If you sit in environments and you learn the message of the gospel and you you begin to hear it and it becomes familiar and you learn the language and you hear it again and again and again, but you haven't met the man, you have this declaration of hope that makes sense to your mind. It sounds good. And you know it's good. And you might even know it to be true. And you can even declare it. But if you haven't met the man, you have no hope or experience of hope Today. And this is where we begin to see Christians that that know the language. They can quote the scriptures. They They can even share the gospel with you, but there's no substance or fruit in their life. And this is when Christianity becomes lukewarm, tamed, and watered down because there's a bunch of noise, but not a whole lot of power. See, the power of the gospel is found in the man, Jesus. The message is the invitation to come and encounter Him. If we only learn the message but never meet the man, we become people with the knowledge of intimacy who have never been intimate. Just so you know, I'm sharing this from Encounter. This is the Lord meeting my heart. So I never preach at you. I'm preaching to my own spirit, to my own soul. I don't ever want to be somebody that has knowledge of intimacy. Intimacy that's been to every conference under the sun, that's heard every YouTube sermon on intimacy, that's 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 learned the language, idolized giftings and anointings, but never been intimate with the man Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to just challenge you this morning, and it's, it is, it's supposed to encourage you, but I want to challenge you with this and just say, when you turn everything else off, what are you left with? When there's, when there's no... Background music, no worship team leading you, no YouTube video, no sermon of the week. When there's no man of God or woman of God or anointed prophet or this or that, when there's nothing else and it's just you in a room with Him. Have you been intimate with Him? It never gets bigger than you and Him on your bedroom floor. (laughs) Are you with me? You will never graduate from you and Him in your room alone with Jesus. And let me just say this, we drift so quickly. And it's not a, it's not a, a, a heavy thing, it's the reality of, of, of what life tries to do to us. It wants to occupy your time. It's why we say our occupation is the face of God. Why? Because life and, and society and the spirit of the age and the culture of the world is trying to occupy your attention. It's trying to take a hold of your gaze. It's trying to keep you thinking about it And missing the depth of what you were born for. And this is why, if we don't live intimate with Jesus, you will never be satisfied. Not with money, not with jobs, not with fame, not with status, not with material possessions, not with relationships. You won't find it in your marriage, you won't find it in having families, you won't find it in anything else until you find Him. He's the only one, you see, there's there's a space inside of your heart and it looks like Him. And that's how it's designed, He's the only one who can fill it. It's why we pursue so many things and we're never satisfied. And the reality is there's only two expressions on the earth. And I need you to hear me this morning. There's only two expressions. Everything comes out of two things. And these are the two expressions. What's from God and what's from man. There are only two beings that can create. (laughs) God. And then there's this kind of like sub expression of creation. And that's you. You, Because you're made in His image, you're given the ability to create. And so there's only two expressions on the earth, what's from God and what's from man. We'll come back to that. When we know the message, but we don't have relationship with Jesus, we limit our belief to this. Grace is enough to save me, but not enough to change me. We, we get excited about a message that we know saved us, but we have no experiential outworking in our lives of grace that changes us. And then what happens is, because that's the state of majority of the Western church, people want to slander or slate the message of grace because they haven't seen its power in people's hearts. And the reality is it's not the message, it's that the problem is all they've heard is the message, but they never met the man. And we need to teach people that when we teach sermons and preach, it's not so that you can have knowledge about something. Though that's beautiful. Though we, we, we want understanding. We need understanding. But that's not the primary purpose of preaching. You know, today you're not going to remember probably 90% of what I say, but my heart is that I would provoke something in your spirit, man, that makes you run after Jesus to encounter Him. Because my confidence is in Him, not in my preaching, not in this Word, not in how well I prepared, not in what I think I can do in my gifting or anointing. I have no confidence in that. My confidence is in this. If I can preach the gospel and Holy Spirit is on it, He'll lead you to the secret place where you'll meet Jesus and you will change your life forever. Majority of people that say they're having encounters with God and then you don't see fruit in their life, they're not encountering God, they're encountering an idea. Or they think it's an encounter, but they've settled for limited knowledge and understanding of something, but they don't know what He's like. See, there was a difference between, uh, Damien said it last week, there was a difference between what Moses experienced and what Israel experienced. You see, because Israel, all they saw was the acts of God. And so what that led them to was, if he acts this way, it means he expects this of us. And so it's behavior modification. But Moses, face to face, spoke to God as as a friend, friend to friend. And he learned the ways of God. From the beginning, even under the law, God was never trying to separate people from himself. He was always inviting us to friendship. The problem is, we thought we could do it in our own strength. The man, Jesus Christ, is the only one who can save, make whole, and transform us. Let me tell you the best news of your life. This, He has done. See, we we don't get that yet. And I'm talking to myself. I'm like, there's only one man who can save me, make me whole, and transform me. And He's done it. He did it on the cross when He said it's finished. He didn't say it's kind of finished. He said it's finished. See, intimacy with Jesus is where that becomes our life. The disconnect between the fullness of the gospel that we receive and the life lived is whether or not we're intimate with Him. The evidence of intimacy is not hype. It's not gifting. It's not even signs and wonders. It's the manifestation of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Galatians 1 from verse 11, and let's read 11 and 12. This is Paul, He says this. He says, "For I want you to know believers that the gospel which was preached by me is not man's gospel. It is not a human invention patented after any human concept, for indeed I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a direct revelation of Jesus Christ. Whoa. Let's just pull out a few things here. Number one, the gospel that he preached, is not man's gospel. So can I say it like this? If the gospel doesn't blow your mind, it might not be the true gospel. If it's not offending your thinking, if it doesn't sound too good to be true, if it's not wildly offensive to all that your flesh thinks, needs, and desires, then I question if you're you're understanding the fullness of the gospel. It needs to astound you. It is not man's way. It is not the pattern of man. It's God's idea. And that means it's supernatural. It's wild. It's outrageous. It's scandalous. It it doesn't fit into our boxes. It doesn't fit into how we see the world. It doesn't fit into how we think things should go. It's outrageous. It's not man's gospel. And he says, he didn't receive it from man, nor was he taught it. What is he saying? He's not nullifying preaching and the teaching of the gospel. He's saying, when you hear a message, when when it's, when it's released, it's an invitation, but you have to receive it directly from Jesus as a revelation of who he is. That's what it means to meet the man. There's an invitation for us. Transformation takes place when we meet the man, not just hear the message. See, Jesus, when he when he comes and he begins to start his ministry and he says this, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's interesting, he didn't, it wasn't just a message of repentance. That's how we preach it and see it. Jesus came with the message of repentance. Or it wasn't just that. Because he didn't just say repent. He said repent for what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does he mean? He's saying, Now's the time to repent because I am present with you. I'm here. I am the king. I am Lord. I'm the one who comes and transforms and brings dominion. I'm here. Now's the time to repent. Why? Because you can return to the highest place, which is Him. And when you do that, transformation takes place. So what what about the gospel do you believe to be true? Because it doesn't come in compartments. Are you with me? What about the gospel do you believe to be true? Because it's easy to go, yes, I definitely believe that I needed a Savior because of my sin and He saved me. And grace is incredible that He actually did that. Majority of Christians, we know, if we don't have that one, we're done anyway. So that one's okay. When we take it further and go, okay, but what about present and future sin? What about the the sin you haven't even committed yet? Do we compartmentalize the gospel and go, yeah, I don't know, His grace is wild, but this one, this one is where I need to get involved. This one's where, this one's on me. He did His job, now I must do my job. You don't have a job. <laughs> you died. <laughs> the Christian life is not you doing your job. It's that you died and now His life is being lived in you. That's why it's supernatural and it's full of glory and power and beauty because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not your attempt to be like Him that's the hope of glory. Maybe it's why we don't see a lot of glory. The glory comes on the Son. God's impressed by Him. He's not impressed by us. He didn't ask us to be impressive. See, when I say that statement, people go like, wow, that's a bit harsh, like God loves us. Yeah, He loves you so much that He doesn't need to be impressed by you. He chose to be impressed by His Son. So that you could live in him and do everything he's called you to do through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, because you've been redeemed and saved and made whole and transformed by the man. Amen? So what do you believe about the gospel? You know, because majority of people would say, Yes, I've been over oh, this will be a, okay. <clears throat> majority of people say, Yes, I've been I've been saved by grace. And God has forgiven me. But then I I must decide which sins I still need to ask forgiveness for and try and remember and keep track of the ones in the day so that I make sure I confess my sins, because if I don't confess my sins, it's where we compartmentalize the gospel. On the other side of that conversation is a God who's saying, I already forgave you. Receive what I've given you. See, if, if, if our sin still disqualifies us in our own eyes, we need to go meet the man. Can I just explain this to you? This is this is the best news you'll ever hear in your life that in your deepest, darkest, most horrific moment, he doesn't inspect you, he inspects the lamb. I don't know what you what you're in right now. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what where you're at in your soul or your 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 journey. But I want to tell you that right now when he looks at you, he's not inspecting you. He inspects his son. And it's because of His Son that He can look at you and say, holy, blameless, beyond reproach, continue in the faith. It's wild. See, can I just say this? When people get upset, it's why why I felt to preach this as well, is because you guys know if you're in 24-7, I love to preach on the grace of God. And I do it all over the place and get into trouble. And and the reality is, people people confuse us. They go like, "Well, you know, you're you're a um, you're a grace message preacher. You like to preach the message of grace," and I'm like, "I get it, but actually, we're talking about a person." And and here's the thing about Jesus: Jesus is an all-or-nothing God. I, I mean, if you look at what he did, he definitely didn't hold back. He's all or nothing. So He didn't do what He did only to to give us a little bit of grace or to give us a little bit of salvation or to do His part, but then there's still your part and you need to get that right before you can come into intimacy with me. He's not like that. So He's wild. Jesus is fierce. He loves you so fiercely. We don't understand this yet. And my heart is like, God, I need to see you. I need to see your eyes. I need to encounter your heart. Because when I do, I realize you are wild. He's a wild, loving God. He's a bridegroom, king, and judge. And here's the thing. He's done, he was judged on the cross. He dealt with sin so that when you stand before the Father, you're not going to be judged for sin. (laughs) You won't be judged for sin. I love Bob Jones, uh, a prophetic guy. He said it so beautifully. He said, When you get to heaven, it's almost like this is the question Jesus will ask Did you learn to love? Because God's intention in creating a bride for His glory was not to, to make sure you didn't sin and see if you could do it. and Let's test you out until you stand before me and let me then hold you accountable to that and see how well you did. He's not that. Why? Why would a, a, a God who is love be like that? No, He's not like that. He's looking for love. So what did He do? He became it and gave it to us and said, love me with a supernatural love. Did you learn to love the way I love? Did you learn... To walk in what I paid for, what I gave you. That's why I said this morning in the Father's eyes, there is nothing that can separate you from Him. Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) Have you really let the gospel do its work in your life? And just to let you know, it's not a once off thing, it's daily. See, the gospel first invites you to a joyful death of yourself. It's a joyful death. It is. And it's only not joyful when you actually think more highly of yourself than you ought to. It's called pride. It's self-righteousness. If you're still holding on to your brokenness, if you're still holding on to your insecurities, or you're still holding on to the lies that you've believed about yourself, it's called pride. And it's not your fault. It's a fallen sinful nature, but it needs to die. And maybe, maybe in the beginning it starts with a forced smile when you're walking through the sword. And it, but the reality is this. It's a joyful death because you need it. Yeah. And you know you need it. <laughs> is that one? You getting that? it's only not joyful when you think more highly of yourself than you ought to. See, all that has designed your life needs to be crucified with Christ. All. Spirit, soul and body. Secondly, the gospel rebirths and repurposes you in him, for him and unto him. So in a whole different place. You might as well just, you know, leave this realm and go into Narnia. It's like that kind of, it's a re, you're reborn. It's a whole new life, a whole new realm. No, I'm serious because, you know, we think like yeah, I've been born again, but you know, we look at our lives and nothing changed. It's a whole new world. Where's Robin? She's singing a <laughs> Disney song. I knew it. <laughs> Thirdly, it empowers you to be like him. Did you hear me? The gospel empowers you to be like Him. He's not asking you to try to be like Him. You can't. You can't. You can't. You can let that one go. But the gospel, what He's done, the finished work of Jesus, when you receive it and you allow the Holy Spirit to be Lord of your life, He will do it. It is, it's, it's His greatest joy. See, when we say Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us, what we think is we're waiting for Him to like, okay, Holy Spirit, bring Jesus here so I can see Him. That's beautiful, and He might do that for you. But what it really means is this. He's going to reveal the nature, character, and heart of God in you and through you so that you actually begin to walk like Him. Damien and I have been talking about this, and we shared it a bit in home group. Do you know that it's actually, for the born-again believer, it's more natural to yield and submit? to the Holy Spirit than to not. It's actually in your nature to yield to Him. (laughs) The problem is we don't believe that so we think it's the other way around. It's my default to follow the flesh and I'm trying to obey the Holy Spirit. But as a born again believer that flips. It's your default to obey the Holy Spirit and actually you have to try pretty hard to actually follow the flesh. That's the truth. The problem is what you believe about yourself you'll live out. Majority of born again believers still believe they're carnal and fleshly. They think that that's that's natural and I'm learning the supernatural. No, no, no. When you're born again, you are supernatural. So I said there are two expressions on the earth. That which is from God and that which comes from man. Everything in life can be tested by these two things. Who is it from? So let me ask you this question. If there's only things that are from God and things that are from man, notice how the devil's not in this. He's not that powerful. There. I'm going down a trail <laughs> it's only ah okay a legalistic heart will make you more aware of what the enemy' doing than what God's doing how do you know if legalism's crept in what what grabs your attention first it'll often be you flesh or the demonic It's the first thing you discern. And legalism justifies it by saying, I have the gift of discernment. Do I believe in discernment? Absolutely. But the grace of God has positioned me in Christ. If I'm in Him, clothed in Him according to my Bible, in other words, I'm wrapped in Christ, what should be the first thing I discern? Him. Him. Instead of walking into a room and looking for the demonic, why are we not looking for him and just following what he's doing? Because the demonic demonic only has the authority that you give it. And the way you give the demonic authority is by looking at it. Are you with me? I'm coming back. So, So what is your definition of what is good? What is your definition of what is good? How do you define what's good in your life? We mistake what can feel good for what truly is good. And it's because we live in a world that's sensual and demonic. Sensual meaning led by our senses. So we're feelings led in everything else that we do. And so we think we must measure good and bad by what it feels like. And you wonder why the majority of believers in the Western context are not satisfied in their Christian walk. We mistake what can feel good for what truly is good. So only what is of and from God can be good, right? So let me ask you a question. What if God measures goodness by where it leaves you in proximity to Him? No, seriously, you need to get this one. This one's rocking me right now. I am stuck here. What if God measures goodness by where it leaves you in proximity to Him or what He's given you? So what if, what if it's good in His eyes if it, if it keeps you close? In other words, you can experience something that you think is good, but then when you lift up your head and see where it's led you in proximity to God, you're far from Him. It's affected the way you believe. It's affected the decisions you make. Let me give you an example. That business deal. It's got to be God. Because if I get this one, that's me set If I get this, God obviously wants to bless me. So any opportunity to be blessed financially or in material position must be God, right? Interesting, because I look at majority of believers who live like that and look at where their lives are in proximity to Him. Do they believe God is good? Yes. Do they believe He blesses? Yes. But where are they in intimacy? Very far. And they're not satisfied, they're not fulfilled, and you don't see the fruit of Jesus in their lives. You see a Father Christmas spirit... Yeah, Father Christmas Spirit, God blessed me. I have this empire and I get to give gifts as the Lord. It's sensual and demonic. And we have preached a version, a perverted version of what some would call the gospel. And suddenly it begins to stir this. And what we're doing is we're growing Father Christmas centers. We call it generosity, but it's actually control and manipulation with finances. The church has over 9,000 times globally the resources to fund the Great Commission. That's a statistic. Over 9,000 times the finances. The church has it globally. Do you know that less than 3% of missionaries are going to the unreached? And I'll tell you why. Because less than 0.1% of finances go to the unreached. So if God measures what's good based on where it leaves you in proximity to Him, why? Ask yourself why. Well, Because that's what He paid for. See, Jesus didn't die for your wealth. Can I tell you why? Because you won't take it with you to heaven. What if prosperity is the byproduct of being a son on the earth? And what if Jesus was the perfect example of it? Just look at Jesus' life, and tell me where he went after building a, a network of assets and uh, making sure that you know for the next five generations he had taken care of his grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren. The pressure that's on people today, thinking that that's what a blessed people look like, the blessed spirit-filled life, billions. I'm sorry, it's not in this Bible. And and Paul actually says to Timothy, warn them because they actually stab themselves with pangs. Now, I'm not hitting... <laughs> my dad's smiling at me because I do this too often. I'm not hitting the blessing of God. I believe in it. But for me, it's something that follows me. It's not something that I have to pursue. Do you understand? And can I just say this? I believe, I believe the spirit-filled, prosperous son or daughter of God has no control. They're submitted. Can I say that again? If you think blessing and prosperity for your life looks like God blessing you so that you have control of millions, you've missed it. The submitted life looks like a river. I can release, there's a constant flow from my life because I know more is coming. I am not worried or concerned. Do you know that when the church catches this, we'll finish the Great Commission? No, I'm serious. Like, the Great Commission is not a, a far-off dream that we're, you know, one day in a land far away we'll see God in multiple generations. No, I believe it can happen. If we have 9,000 times the finances, and by the way, the other stat is over 3,000 times the manpower, if that's the reality, if we can see a shift, it'll happen. It's, it's, it's one shift away from seeing whole regions come to know Jesus. <clears throat> That gives me hope. You know, Romans 2.4, it says God's kindness leads us to repentance. If you think about the goodness of God, what's good? Well, He wants to see repentance and change in our hearts. So how does He do it? Kindness. Why kindness? Because it keeps you in close proximity to Him. Because He knows that He's the transformer, not you. He's the one who changes your heart and life, not you. So His kindness, His mercy, His grace, His gentleness, His love leads you, by the hand, to repentance. Why then do we do calls for repentance by putting guilt, shame, and condemnation on people? Get right with God. Why do we do this? Where did we jump off? The reality is it's His kindness. It's the good news of the gospel. It's the good news of His grace that leads us. It's His kindness that draws us. Because if you can be manipulated into getting saved, you can be manipulated out. That's why, I'm just being honest with you, it's why I struggle sometimes at crusades, and I love them, but I struggle because there's this pressure to get a response and a result because there's cameras. And if the cameras aren't there, you don't get the fundraising. So you need to have a specific outcome in order for it to be a successful crusade. And so there's a way to do it. Put some pressure on them. And it's sincere, don't get me wrong. My dearest friends are doing amazing things for God and hosting these things, but I, I sometimes sit there and I'm, my heart is, is grieved because I'm going, I know the heart of the Father and I know that if, if you get saved into this, if this is the only expression of Jesus you understand right now, this is what you're getting born again into, I fear for your Christian walk. Because what changed my life was not a pressure to get right with God. In fact, that's what nearly killed me. What changed my life was His Kindness. See, I think it's a beautiful thing. This week, my family and I, we, we were just having a moment together and looking at the last 10, 15 years and just coming to a reality of this, specifically for my life, that I'm here because of His kindness. I didn't get it right. I didn't figure it out. I didn't, it didn't click. And like, oh, suddenly I found a way to actually walk the Christian life. It wasn't like that. It's His kindness. Do you know what that does? It leaves me in a place where I can only give Him glory. And and it's, it's a life like that where he takes his glory because everybody knows and you know that it could never be you. Are you with me? See, the knowledge of intimacy or the knowledge of God who desires intimacy can make you aware of what is right, what is good and what is God's heart. But only being intimate with him will change you. Let me say that again. The knowledge of intimacy or the knowledge of a God who wants to be intimate because you can actually know that He wants to be intimate with you and have knowledge. You understand that that's what He wants. And that can show you what's right. It can show you what's good. It can make you aware of His heart. But you're not changed until you encounter His heart. You're not changed until you're intimate with His heart. There's simple simple um, foundations of understanding and revelation that help us to know how we can be with Him. Number one, you cannot earn it. Ever. I guarantee you, majority of you, if, you've, if you're in a season right now where you have not been with God in a long time, I guarantee you it's because you feel like you have to fix something before you can go back there with Him. I guarantee you. I guarantee you, if you're staying away from God, it's because you think you've, somehow He's upset with the state of where you're at and you need to fix that so that you can get back to that place of intimacy with Him. It's the number one leading reason or cause that people stay away from Him. I need to fix myself. I need to, I need to get right. I need to feel better about where I am before I can be intimate with Him. You can't earn it, ever. We're just that one needs to like drive a peg through our hearts and minds. You cannot earn it. You can only receive it. Once you receive His love, you can love Him back. If you try to love God, without first receiving it's a nightmare waiting to happen <laughs> if this makes you angry yay if this if this makes you angry i just guarantee it's because you you're just getting free from some fleshly legalistic nonsense amen I had to get free from it last night. I was super offended at the Lord. (laughs) Once you receive his love, you can love him back. It has to be received. You have to trust him. The aspect of our Christian life that's like so simple, we all say it and pray it every morning on our way to work. (laughs) God, I trust you. God, I trust you. But seriously, if you don't come through today, God, (laughs) but I trust you, but I trust you. I really trust you, Lord, but I'm actually having a panic attack right now. Anxiety riddled. But I trust you, God. You got this. See, the righteous live by faith, not by feelings. Intimacy is built on faith. It's not built on whether you feel them there or not. See, God's in the room with me whether I feel Him or not. Why? Because He said He'd never leave me or forsake me. So either I'm crazy and you should put me in a mental institute or we'll stand before Jesus and He'll go, I was there. And let me tell you how you'll know. Fruit. See, people who live by faith have a peace that surpasses understanding. People who live by faith, are strengthened by a joy that's not their joy, it's God's joy. People who live by faith are walking the supernatural, not because they figured it out, but because they received it. The other thing is to expect Him. Some of us are so disappointed that we say we trust Him, but we don't actually expect Him to come through. And so the impossible terrifies us. Uncertainty terrifies us. I just want to know. I just want to control. I just want to. But if I have an expectation for him to move, it doesn't mean I get to decide what it looks like, but I know he'll show up because he loves me. And then the last one's pretty straightforward be with him. And that doesn't mean. It's been a rough day at work. I need to race home, get into my room, close that door, tell my wife and kids, stay away from me because I need to be with God. That's not that. Be with him. He's with you. Be with him. He's present with you. Be present with him. I, I saw this this quote that rocked me about marriage. It's it was I can't remember who posted it, but it really stirred my heart. It's like you know, you decide, I'm going to go be with Jesus. And right as you're about to go be with Jesus and close the room, your wife says, can you please do the dishes? And then, you know, we think it's holy to go, no, babe, I'm about to go be with Jesus. And so, actually, that's, that's do, you want, do you want me to lead this family by following the Lord? But, but I saw something so interesting that challenged my heart. And it said, actually, washing the dishes could be the most spiritual act of worship in that moment. That, that, that... <laughs> Expose that. <Dad. laughs> <laughs> Turns out I'm doing marriage counseling this week. <laughs> but here's what rocked me. Here's what rocked me. He's present, and He's looking for you to be present. It's, it blows me away because how did Jesus handle what He handled? How did He how did he deal with the masses always demanding from Him, pressing up against Him, needing from Him all the time? I think He understood how to be present with the Father in the midst of serving. And I guarantee you right now that tool for your marriage. Wash the dishes. You're going to see revival Jess will be leaving straight after the service nobody asks her any no what I mean is this it don't know why I'm saying this when there's when there's points of conflict in marriage wash each other's feet and that doesn't mean get a bucket of water it can mean that but what I mean is look for a way to serve each other and in that be present be present be present with the Father doesn't mean it's going to be easy there might be some swear words under your breath <laughs> yes you guys are. Yeah. don't lie I know. Yeah. Yes. the way you look at me I'm like please man <laughs> See, He's he's shaping us and forming us in those beautiful moments. See, it's interesting to me that God doesn't seem to be so concerned with being right because He's very secure in Himself. He's not concerned with proving that He's right. What He wants is relationship. Because if if it's love, if it's kindness that leads us to repentance, then I think being right is the wrong way to go about stuff. Because you know what's amazing about the righteousness of God? Is that when you receive it, it makes the wrong things right. He does that. It's not your job. Let's not use the word holiness to blanket legalism. Let's just be very careful with that. You're only holy because he's holy. You are not holy because you figured it out. When he said, Be holy as I'm holy, he didn't say, Try to be holy like I'm holy. He said, Be holy. I'm holy. You're one with me. In other words, you have me in you. Be that. See, grace will take you deeper into intimacy with Jesus than works could ever dream of. Works were never the way to God's heart. They are an expression of transformation, but never the way to be transformed. Grace is never an excuse to remain unchanged. Ah. Grace is never an excuse to remain unchanged. Grace is the eternal current of God's love, that is always moving you into more of His fullness. If you're using grace as a reason to be in rebellion, it's not grace. It's, it's an eternal current of the love of God that's always moving you into His fullness. See, we have to understand that before we can be intimate with God, we have to know that we're one with Him. Sometimes we're chasing intimacy before we understand that we're one. And the reason I'm saying that is this. Intimacy actually means friendship or to be close and familiar with somebody. You can't be His friend or be close or familiar with the person of God and this is not familiar in a casual way this is meaning home you can't have that until you know where you're positioned you're one with him when we pursue intimacy before we've received oneness we we shift into works See, what does it mean to know God? It's interesting. John 10, 14, Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. There's that word know. Matthew 1, 25, when they speak about Joseph and Mary, it says Joseph did not know Mary until she gave birth to a son. Now we know they're talking about intimacy in, in marriage context, but what's that word? The Greek word is gnosko. G-N-O-S-K-O, gnosko. I don't know how you say it. Um, but this is what it means. To know firsthand through personal experience. To learn, to discover, to recognize, and to see. Whoa. That's what it means for a man to know his wife. And that picture is actually an expression of what Jesus said when he said, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. It's the same knowing. In Genesis 4, verse 1, when it says Adam knew his wife Eve, the Hebrew word is Yada. Which means to know with all your senses. Wow. Wow. It's a full experience. God paid the ultimate price for oneness with man that would make intimacy eternal. You getting me? Yeah. <coughs> See, here's the thing about about marriage and intimacy and these things is that it's designed to teach us how we relate with God. And that doesn't mean that if you're single or dating and you're not married that you can't experience His heart, but it's something that's supposed to be an expression on the earth that we can look at and say, this is how God wants to be known. This is how God wants to walk with us. This is how God wants to experience life with us. See, marriage becomes corrupt when it becomes centered around what I feel I need or want. Mm -hmm. Marriage becomes corrupt when we begin to decide for ourselves what's good. And it's based on feelings. But actually, if we were to base everything based on where it leaves us in proximity to God, We would walk in a covenant that we know is not upheld by us, it's upheld by Him. That gives us freedom, freedom to love, freedom to serve, freedom to minister to one another, freedom to know each other firsthand, to learn, to discover, to recognize, to see. See, I believe, and one day I'll get to this when I feel ready, but for years the Lord has been teaching me and and imparting something in my heart around intimacy with God and sexuality. There's a lot of good stuff that's being taught out there, but I still think we're missing one of the biggest aspects of what God's trying to teach us. See, we're not going to get free in an area of sexuality. don't know why I'm going here, but it's the Lord. We're not going to get free from an area of, of sexuality by shifting from well, it's taboo, nobody talks about it, so actually the answer is, let's just take it all and begin to plaster it all over the church. Let's make sure, let's be vulnerable with each other and just talk about everything. And just Let's take the shame off everything and just talk about it. Yes, let's take the shame off everything, but let's keep things holy and reverent and, and honor and, and, and let's, let's, let's have the sacredness and the beauty because God doesn't go and paste what happens between you and Him in the secret place everywhere. That's a holy, beautiful thing, but where the freedom is, that we've got to get rid of shame. The reason I'm saying this is because your perspective around intimacy affects how you're going to be intimate with God. If you have to if you have to earn intimacy What do you think happens in your heart with the Father? Or you only allow it to go as far as you think it's okay because you're not actually you're not actually sure where you stand. Huh. There's a there's a knowing. This is I don't know why the Lord's saying this. Sorry. There is a knowing that God's inviting us to, and the only earthly expression that we have of that knowing is in the context of marriage. Isn't that interesting? So, so, wouldn't it make sense that if the devil was to hit one thing that he knows could derail our perspective of true intimacy, he'd hit sexuality and marriage? I think we're talking about this because God loves families. Okay. See, sometimes I'm doing this, and I know the Holy Spirit speaking. I'm like, why? Am I, why are we going here? What's happening? But it's there's little things coming together. He loves families. He loves families, and, and it's, it's your family that's training you for the body of Christ, the family of Christ. If your family is taking you away from the body, you've, you don't understand why you have a family. Come on. Yeah. Come on. That's right. You have children so you can understand the heart of the Father. And not only that, so that you can demonstrate the heart of the Father to the earth. You have a wife or a husband so that you can demonstrate the heart of Jesus for His bride and the bride for Christ. We have mothers who teach us the nature of the Holy Spirit if they're operating in their original design. So, so family is God's heart and if we'll understand, if we let the gospel touch this thing, can I say it like that? I asked earlier, what, what do you believe about the gospel to be true? Have you let the gospel do its work in your heart? Let the gospel touch your marriage, your sexuality, your family, your parenting strategies. Let it touch it. And yes, it's the first thing you're going to feel is death. <laughs> Joyful death. Joyful death. There it is. Joyful if you let it happen. Painful if you're going to... Right, exactly the sword's coming you know but do you hear what I'm saying yeah. your parenting strategies are not going to work mm-hmm. you need Jesus yeah. Come on. your seven steps to a healthy marriage it's not going to work you need Jesus mm-hmm. your 1021 steps to a healthy sex life <laughs> it's not going to work you need Jesus <laughs> come on, come on. Uh, I'm saying this because the Lord's Yeah, but, but for real if he's huh, he's touching this thing because it really matters to him because it, 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 there are depths that we're called to walk with yes. with God and there are depths that he's inviting us into yes. and I think there are mindsets that have crept into the church because of shame that are affecting our understanding of how deep God wants to take us. And like I said, grace will take you deeper in intimacy with Jesus than works could ever dream of. So we've got to let the grace of God touch us to the core, touch every area of our lives. You know, the reason we don't let the gospel touch us in areas is mostly because of pain. Okay. We don't know how to handle pain. I'm, I'm talking from my own journey. The, the worst thing we could do is instead of allowing the man Jesus to touch me where it hurts, where there's pain, to meet me in that place, what we do nowadays is we, we copy and paste and patch it up with a message. And the message is good and there's hope in the message but the hope is the man. The problem is you can easily cover it with the message and just go like, no, I don't even have to look at that thing because the blood of Jesus covers me. Yeah, but have you actually experienced the blood of Jesus covering that? Did you actually feel Him minister life to you in that place? See, grace enables us to Confront pain with joy because we know that his kindness meets us there. The reason, a lot of the time pain is associated with sin. In fact, always. So because pain is associated with sin, we're afraid to deal with pain because we think it disqualifies us or someone else. But when we allow the gospel to touch that, when we allow the gospel to reveal Jesus to us in that place, and transformation happens, it doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out process because it's not psychological. It's supernatural. See, Jesus doesn't fix things. He makes things new. The church doesn't need a better perspective on sexuality. It needs a new one. The church doesn't need a better perspective on marriage. It needs a new one. It needs His view, His perspective. Amen. He makes all things new. Amen? Amen? That one was for free. I just touched on that. because. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to finish up. There's a man inside the message that we preach and when we meet him and encounter him, we'll never be the same again. <clears throat> He is so good. And if we will allow Him to be Lord of our lives, if we will submit and surrender to Him, He's faithful through His Holy Spirit to lead us in His purposes, plans, and dream for our life. We have to allow the gospel to redesign our lives. We have to allow the gospel to shape us, transform us, and make us like Him. There are no terms and conditions to our yieldedness to Jesus. Are you with me? We have to trust Him. We have to expect Him. We have to be with Him. We have to be present in the journey so that we can allow Him to do what He wants to do in that moment. He's after your heart. He's not after your behavior. Transformation starts in your heart and then it's expressed. Your behavior will come right when your heart is in love with Jesus, when your heart is given to Him. Are you with me? So this, this morning coming back from that crazy detour on marriage. I just feel the heart of the Lord around where He's taking the church and what we're going to walk in to see the Great Commission fulfilled and to see transformation, the power of the gospel. We do not want to be a church with many words but little demonstration. We want the demonstration of God. We want to see the love of God touch and change and transform lives. That's not going to come because we do things well. It's not going to come because you get your act together. It comes because of Jesus. And so when we're in Him, of Him, unto Him, He'll do it. Amen? Amen? We need to start where He finished. We need to stand on the finished work of Jesus. We need to understand that the grace of God is radical. It is not man's idea. We read it out of Galatians 1.11. It's not man's idea. It's astoundingly beautiful. It will take all of eternity to, to, to try and fully grasp it. It's meant to rock you. It's meant to, it's meant to leave you in awe and wonder with Jesus. It's how we stay fresh in our intimacy with God. It's because He's just that good. He is just so wonderful that every day it, it cannot be. It cannot be that you're here again. You came again to be with me. In fact, you didn't leave me. You were ministering to my spirit while I was sleeping. I woke up and you were there. I got in my car and you were there. I arrived at work and you were there. My boss is swearing at me and you're here. Are you with me? I can go to the deepest, darkest, most horrific places. You're there. There's only two expressions on the earth, that which is from God and that which is from man. The gospel is from God. Any perverted version that comes from man is not his heart, it's not his gospel. We need to hold fast to the confident hope that we have in the message of his grace. Amen? Amen. Grace transforms you. It never leaves you the same. That's where His power is. There's a man in the message. He loves you. He's wild for you. He'll change and transform your life. Amen. Mm. So Holy Spirit, I just thank you for your presence in this room, that you love these people so much. Lord, none of us can do any of this in our own strength, and you've you've never asked that of us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are our Lord, you're our closest friend, you're the spirit of truth inside of us. You're our counselor when it's uncomfortable. That's the way you comfort us, God. You counsel us in truth. And so I I, right now prophetically just ask Holy Spirit, remove every bit of guilt, shame, and condemnation and every lie of the enemy that's tried to root itself in our belief systems that is trying to drive us to earn something that you've already achieved. I also ask that you would help us not to measure goodness based on outcomes. It's not good because it was fixed. It's only good because it's Him. It's not good because it was fixed. Oh, it's not good because it felt good. It's good because it was Him. Draw us to you, Jesus. Draw us to your heart. We want to walk with you every day. We want to be aware of you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Astound us, Holy Spirit. And Lord, even in this environment, I just I release the, the government of your peace and your presence over this house, over every mind and every heart. And I thank you that where the flesh tries to rage and roar, God, that you would silence every empty echo of our flesh and that we would yield to the voice of the shepherd that we know intimately, firsthand experience. Jesus, thank you this morning that you're building your church. Thank you this morning that you are building and imparting and equipping us with revelation and truth so that we can arise and shine in the midst of deep darkness, God. Lord, I pray that what you're doing in 24-7 is you're taking us on a journey to be radiant ones. Because we can only be radiant when we know who we are in you. And so, Lord, I release the message and the man over this house. Thank you, Jesus, that we would fall wildly and madly in love with you. Be Lord of our lives. Be the lover of our souls. Be the desire of our hearts. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Some of you are going to feel in this environment just like, wow, there is a whole pivotal shift that's coming to your life when you hear the gospel like this. If you you'll yield, it will shift and change everything. And it's absolutely terrifying because it starts with death, joyful death. But I want to encourage you, this is not lived by trying to figure it out in your head. This is lived in the secret place with Jesus. This is lived intimately with him. Don't try to figure it out. Receive it. You don't have to prove this. Just live in it. So thank you, God. I also just release as as you're touching people's hearts and minds, Lord. I just release physical healing. I thank you that you confirm the preaching of the gospel with signs and wonders, not in my timing or my own strength but you do it. And so God, I release that now, an environment of the supernatural, signs, wonders, and miracles. I also just release divine encounters right now. God, that you would take us into that deep, intimate place with you. Friends with God. That's what you've called us to be. Friends. Lovers. Holy Spirit, I ask where, where life has come and tried to distract many families and many individuals in this room from their destiny. I thank you right now God that the gospel would crash in on those lies would crash in on the deception and would bring truth and illuminate our hearts so we can say yes to you once again Jesus you're beautiful Holy Spirit thank you that you've led us this morning and Lord you know my heart and I ask if I've said anything that's not in your heart I pray it would be forgotten but Holy Spirit that which is of you I really ask, make it real in my heart and my life. Make it real in every person in this room. Help us to live this out. Lord, in humility and in absolute awe, we just say thank you for the gospel, Lord. Thank you for what you did on the cross. We still do not understand, but we receive and we ask for more fullness, more of your fullness, more revelation of who you are. Thank you that grace is the eternal current of God's love that is moving us more and more into the fullness of who you are. I bless this house. I bless every family. I bless every marriage. Lord, I don't know why you highlighted that again today, but I know you are healing and restoring all of us, God, in many ways because you've called us to thrive. And so, Jesus, we we yield to you. We yield to you. We love you. We honor you. And we worship you. We worship you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for wanting to sit and listen to the Word. Thank you for wanting to be in family. We really love you so much. We're praying for you and contending for the dream of God in your life and in 24-7 and in our city and in the nations. Uh, What a joy to be the family of God. Um, I know most of you need to go home and change your sweaty shirts. So uh, we'll release you guys to do that. Please have coffee, um, connect, fellowship, and uh, we'll see you at home groups or next week. Love you very, very much. Bless you guys.